Charter school policies in the far west have a lousy reputation in some circles. Amid calls for greater care in authorizing new charters and increased oversight of existing ones, states like Arizona and some of its neighbors stand out for their relatively permissive stance. As a result, they tend to receive mediocre ratings from organizations that support charters but favor a more regulated approach to growth. But could it be that the conventional wisdom, if not wrong, is at least too narrow? Do charter policies in the West deserve a second look? I'm Marty West, editor of Education Next, and I'm joined today by Matthew Ladner, senior research fellow at the Charles Koch Institute and the author of the article, In Defense of Education's Wild West, which will appear in the spring 2018 issue of the journal and is available now at educationnext.org. Matt, welcome back to the EdNext podcast. Thanks for having me, Marty. Now, as you note in the article, the term Wild West, as it applies to charter schools, really entered the public discourse in earnest in the debate over Betsy DeVos's nomination as Education Secretary. It was alleged that lax oversight in her home state of Michigan had led to a proliferation of very low-quality charter schools. Tell us your reaction to that episode. Uh, Marty, that was really kind of strange to watch because... First of all, there were a number of studies of Michigan charter schools that showed that Michigan charter schools are doing a better job with academic gains than um, Michigan district schools. Uh, the NAEP tends to show the same thing, by the way. Um, so, first of all, the sort of like, you know, like pile on Michigan charter schools seemed odd, but it, it seemed even odder to those, those of us who actually live out in the West because of the use of this frame you know, this phrase, Wild West, um, those of us who live out here and actually pay attention to charter school results are really scratching our heads because uh, the reality is, is that charter schools are doing quite well out here in the West. Um, and, um, you know, it's sort of a, um, a, a misnomer to think otherwise. And we should let listeners know that you're based in Arizona, I believe. So you have a dog in this fight, we might say. Um, but you're, you're taking an, issue, uh, an interest in it. And in this article, you zero in on charter schools in the so-called four corner states, which share not only a geographic meeting place, but also a roughly similar approach to charter school policy. Why don't you remind listeners which states those are and tell us how they've approached charter schooling? Sure thing. So the four corner states are Colorado, Utah, Arizona, and New Mexico. Of course, they all meet at a single point um, on the map. And um, so these four states tend to get, you know, decently high uh, charter school grades from two of the organizations that typically do this, but uh, a low grade from, from one of the organizations that has more. Uh, regulation-oriented uh, outlook. Um, you know the the distinguishing characteristics of of especially Colorado, Arizona, and Utah is that these states have a very rapid rate of population growth, um, and a level of population growth you don't typically see back east in the K-12 system. So, as a result of that, um, the, the states tend to be have fairly permissive. Uh, charter school laws and practices. Um, they've had a great deal of growth, um, and um, and for the most part, parents are taking the lead in closing charter schools rather than state authorities. Yeah, in reading your article, 
I realized that I hadn't quite been aware of, or at least hadn't fully internalized the role that demographic trends seem to play in shaping states' approaches to charter school policy and really the politics surrounding the issue. As you just said, these are all states where K-12 enrollments have been growing pretty rapidly. Uh, in Arizona, I believe 74% between 1990 and 2014 as compared to 22% growth nationwide. How exactly do you see that informing the way in which charter schooling has played out over that same period? Well, if you could imagine yourself being, the, say, the governor of Arizona in 1994, and uh, the state at that time had very low NAEP scores and was growing like crazy, and in fact, the state was, was spending a lot of money to build new district schools, and the results of which were, you know, on average, mediocre at best, Right. Um, so this is the hand that you're dealing with, is rapid population growth and subpar results. Um, someone, you know, discovered that they created this new thing called a charter school in Minnesota, right? And the basic pitch is, hey, you know what? Um, you can create new public schools, um, and the state doesn't have to finance the facilities, and if they're bad, they can close, Okay. Um, anyone with any sense in 1994 in Arizona would have said, hand me the dice, right? Um, there was, there was very little call for Arizona circumstances to say, oh my gosh, like someone might open a bad school. You were surrounded by low performing schools in Arizona in 1994, right? Um, and the state was basically bankrupting itself to build new ones. So, um, Arizona's had a, a rapid rate of, of charter school growth. Um, the great thing is now is that there is clear evidence of, in states like Arizona and also in Colorado, Utah, and New Mexico um, that the average level of performance in charter schools is quite high. And for the most part, especially in Colorado and Arizona, that, that is clearly being driven by a process where parents um, are simply shunning or leaving charter schools they don't like. Um, and, and taking the lead in that. So the evidence we cite on this, Marty, in the paper is that, you know, whereas Arizona law gives charter schools 15 years to operate under their initial charter, um, the average closure, of which there have been many, um, the average closed charter school is only lasting for four years and only has 62 students enrolled in the last year of operation, right? Um, it's not the case that the state never closes schools. Uh, sometimes the state authorities do close charter schools, but those are few and far between. And the sort of, um, you know, sort of creative destruction, if you will, which is a phrase that, you know, makes libertarians at Twitter, most people find kind of frightening, but this is kind of what's going on, is that parents are sorting through schools and deciding which ones actually, you know, survive and thrive and which ones close. Over time, that's a process that will is, that tends to lead to very uh, high levels of achievement, right? Assuming that parents kind of know what they're doing. So let's come back to performance in a minute and just first highlight for listeners the fact that in part because of this permissive approach to charter growth, we now actually have quite substantial charter sectors in each of these states. Uh, in Arizona, I believe it's 19% of total public school enrollment is in charter schools in Colorado around 12%, New Mexico about 7%, Utah 10%. So these are quite substantial charter sectors. 
And they're also, at least if we compare them to national norms, distributed in somewhat unique ways. Uh, talk a little bit about where in these states charter schools are tending to, to open. Yeah, I think, I think this is a very counterintuitive lesson. Um, but in, in states, um, I actually think that it's the case that if you want to serve the interests of low-income students best, it's really important that your charter sector cover all types of communities, including rural and suburban um, so, um, where the, all of the, of the four corner states actually primarily locate charter schools in urban areas, uh, but that's less the case out here than it is nationwide. So, for instance, in Arizona and Colorado, there are hundreds of, of charter schools that are not located in a big urban center. And the sort of dynamic that we see going on is that this is opening up district schools, suburban ones in particular, to open enrollment. So just recently here in Arizona, we learned that about a third of K-12 students going to districts, schools in the Phoenix area, for instance, are exercising open enrollment. Um, when you combine that with charter school enrollment and private school enrollment and homeschool enrollment, it actually means that a majority of these students are not attending their zone district schools. And I'm fairly confident that that has something to do with the fact that Arizona has been leading the nation in statewide academic gains since 2009. Um, it's, a, it's a high percentage uh, compared to the national average. So, um, you know, it's very understandable why the, the, the choice movement has tended to focus on urban areas. Um, but it is my contentious, contention that if you want to hurt, help urban students, what you need to do is to include the suburbs in particular, right, because that creates a, dy a competitive dynamic. And I believe that, that this is the reason why we see new charter schools in Arizona only lasting for four years, the ones that close, right, because, you know, opening a charter school here is not for the faint of heart. Um, if you open a charter school here, your home district wants your enrollment. The suburban districts, like, say, Scottsdale Unified, want your enrollment. The private schools want your enrollment. Everyone wants your enrollment. Um, so it, it's a very competitive atmosphere. Um, and it's also affecting the district schools as well. It's not as fast, right? The process of opening to closing is much slower in districts, but we do actually see empty and closing district schools as well. So um, I think the key is to have enough options to make this sort of bottom-up system of accountability work. And that, in my view, is what is absent in most states right now. We keep coming back in the conversation to a focus specifically on Arizona, and I think that makes sense both because it's the state that you know the best by virtue of living there, and also I think the purest form of the approach that you're suggesting characterizes broadly these four corner states as a, as a whole. Um, and that's especially the case when you think about the complementary policies you mentioned, like open enrollment uh, across districts that many districts actually participate in, and the presence of some, some private school choice options as well. Uh, let's turn the conversation to quality. I can imagine a lot of listeners out there saying, well, we don't just want growth. We want high quality growth where it's most needed. And I think it's fair to say that some concerns have been raised over the past decade about the quality of Arizona charter schools, the uh, 
influential credo reports have not found them to be uh, charter schools to be performing very well relative to district alternatives. And uh, I have to admit that Matt Chingos and I wrote a paper using data on Arizona charters from 2006 to 2012 that showed, on average, modestly negative effects on student test scores relative to the district alternative. So I came at this a bit of a skeptic, but you paint a much more optimistic picture of charter performance, especially in Arizona. Why? Well, I think one thing is, that is difficult for people to wrap their head around is just how dynamic these charter sectors are. So, uh, so for instance, Marty, you mentioned your study from 2012. Um, the, the, the Credo report was also using 2012 data. Um, since 2012, we've literally had hundreds of charter schools open and close here in Arizona. Um, the, the sector that we have right now is, is, you know, bears little resemblance to one just six years ago, right? So that kind of dynamism where schools are literally opening and closing and expanding and whatnot, um, makes, you know, even a study from 2012, which usually is not that long ago, right? Um, a bit of uh, historical interest, right? Um, the uh, more recent data that we could look at, albeit completely imperfectly, right? Because, you know, the, as we note in the article, um, in the end, only a random assignment study can really eliminate all internal and external validity questions. And, and you can't do that on a whole sector of schools. So, um, you know, we're left to wrestle with, with less perfect data. Um, but in both the, you know, the state scores that the state uh, publishes and in the NAEP, uh, we're seeing very high levels of average achievement in more recent data. The most recent NAEP was from 2015, and um, that, um, you know, Utah, Colorado, and Arizona all had very high NAEP scores for their students um, across the NAEP exams. Uh, New Mexico wasn't quite at the level of the other three states. The other three states were, you know, compared, you know, favorably to New England states, you know, sort of the highest average performing states. Uh, New Mexico on the NAEP didn't quite have that level of achievement, but showed clear, um, um, clearly higher scores vis-a-vis their, their districts. Um, so, and, you know, in, in places where we can look at, you know, the state testing data that's even come out since 2015, uh, you not only see the same pattern, for instance, in Arizona, where you have higher AZ merit scores for charter school students, um, we also see further improvement. So the 16 AZ merit scores were higher than the 15, and the 2017 scores were higher than the 2016 scores. So there seems to be a lot of, of positive momentum on that front. I do think we need to be cautious in interpreting the NAEP results, and I would say that you're quite appropriately cautious in the article itself. Um, you know, as you point out, we don't know who exactly is selecting into charter schools in Arizona, uh, whether the students they serve are representative in terms of the factors that make them more likely to succeed academically. Um, but at a minimum, what, one of the things we know is that the level of performance in Arizona charter schools is quite high. And so to the extent that parents are looking online or in the newspaper as to see how schools are doing, 
that's probably what they're going to be paying the most attention to. Um, and that's what they'll see. It'll influence how the performance of charters is perceived, at least. And that has political consequences, maybe consequences for the schools that uh, parents choose. Yeah, I think that, that you know, this, this, these sector questions are of, of interest to people like you and me, but to a parent, like if you're a parent in Colorado, um, you know, the research I've seen suggests that, you know, parents do consume information about test scores and whatnot, but they also, you know, look into a lot of other things uh, when considering school. So, um, you know, the, the, these, you know, absolute test scores may not be very important to a lot of, of parents and whatnot. So, um, yeah, I mean, ultimately, these sector questions are not what's important to families. What's important to families is finding a good fit for their individual child. And one of the reasons I mentioned my slight skepticism towards the argument about the strength of the performance of Arizona charter schools, but one of the reasons why I'm open to being convinced uh, is that in the paper Matt and I wrote, one of the things we looked at was how much variation there was in the performance of schools in the traditional and charter sectors, and we found much more variation in the charter sector. We also looked at the relative performance of schools that closed and remained open, and within the charter sector, at least, you saw very clear evidence that schools that were closing, again, primarily due to a lack of demand, lack of parents exercising choice for that school, we're performing at very low levels. And so you would expect that over time to generate continual improvement. Yeah, I think the, um, you know, the, the Denver Post did a, a wonderful article looking at sort of a 25-year retrospective of, of charter schools in Colorado. And, um, you know, they, in the article, they noted that um, someone had run the numbers and your chances of being closed as a district school in Colorado because of, you know, low performance was something like, you know, one in 34,000. In other words, like over the last however many years they looked, it like happened once or something like that, right? Um, the chances of closing um, as a Colorado charter school was far higher uh, the chances of closing as an Arizona charter school are even higher than that in Colorado. So um, I, we don't know all the reasons why these scores might be so high. Um, I would never make the claim that it's exclusively because of school quality. We don't know that, and there is no way to establish that, in my opinion. Um, but what we do know is we see very high levels of average achievement. We see long waiting lists in, in all of these states. Um, so that, you know, demand is, is greater than supply. And we also, you know, in, at least in, in several of the states, um, politically, um, it, it's very important to be, you know, both inclusive and diverse. And by inclusive and diverse, I use the, dec you know, the dictionary definitions of those words rather than the sort of politically charged version of the words. Um, and having, you know, inclusive charter school sectors, for instance, you know, you actually get people from all different communities in your state uh, with an investment in, in charter schooling. You know, people in the suburbs, you know, they, here in Arizona are aware of what charter schools are. We have friends and neighbors that have their kids in them. Um, it, it's, a, it's a different enterprise. And I think one of, the, one of the things I'd like to see in the future, Marty, is more research on how pro choice programs kind of interact with each other. 
uh, because there seems to be a very p- clear pattern here where charter schools primarily, even more than private choice, have been the icebreakers that have opened up the suburban districts to open enrollment, and that has created this very fierce competition for students, which ultimately seems to be very healthy. So what's the bottom line? Does Arizona have charter school policy right, or is this just one approach that has met the needs of a particular state, but should remain one among many as we continue to figure out what works best for the nation as a whole. Yeah, I think we need to get away from the whole notion that there's a right way to do charter schooling. Um, in fact, the, the process of, for instance, nationally creating charter school laws according to some uh, you know, ideal is fraught with peril, in my opinion, right? I mean, not only because we may not actually know or understand what the, quote, right policy is, there may not be one, especially when you consider the diversity of needs and, and, and preferences that states have. So I, I think that if we would be better suited to view the 50 states as laboratories, and um, I am certainly not here to tell people you ought to be doing charter school laws the way Colorado, Arizona, Utah, and New Mexico do, right? You know, that's <laughs> I think people should study what's going on out here in the West um, and, and and can perhaps, you know, learn from it. But it, it's not the case that, you know, that someone should from here should go to Maryland and say, do your charter school law the way Arizona does. Arizona and Maryland are very different places. Um but what I can tell you is, is that out here in the West, things seem to be going very well in charter schools. They're in high demand. They're showing high levels of average achievement. Um, you know, we're not, you know, with the, the entire phrase, Wild West is a bit misguided in our view, <laughs> and things are going pretty well. My guest today has been Matthew Ladner, Senior Research Fellow at the Charles Koch Institute and the author of In Defense of Education's Wild West, available now at educationnext.org. Matt, thanks for being part of the podcast. Thank you, Marty. You've been listening to the Ednext Podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your content so that you don't miss an episode. While you're there, be sure to check out our archive, and especially if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It helps us find more listeners, and more listeners find us.